as many of you know, this past, just I think a month ago, uh, Clarksville native Maddie Poppy was awarded the winner of American Idol uh, this most recent season. And my family and I, we tried to catch most of the performances, and we got to be honest, she was solid. I mean, she just was the most consistent of all of them, and she did a fantastic job. I, I really feel like she, she earned it, deserved it. But as great as her performances were, there was one moment that really stood out to me. It was when she had her conversation with the show's first mentor. They brought on this radio personality named Bobby Bones. And Bobby and Maddie, it looked like they were up on a roof of some building. And they're just having a conversation. And it started to come out that Maddie has had a lot of failure in life. So much so that it really shook her confidence. And and she kind of wondered, am I even really good enough to be here on American Idol? Many of us in this area, we kind of know one of Maddie's biggest, most public failures. She made it onto the show The Voice, but she didn't get a single coach to turn their chair around and want her on their team. She didn't make it out of the blind auditions. And Maddie admits that after that moment, she kind of went into a little bit of a depression. Like she was not doing very well. And yet here she is yet again on national TV where she could be publicly rejected and be proven to be a failure yet again. Why in the world would Maddie do that? Why would she put herself into a position where she could publicly crash and burn? It's because she's a musician. Like, Maddie just can't help it. That even in her worst moments, she can't help but reach over and grab the guitar and start to write or start to sing. It's just who she is. In the Waverly newspaper, they did an interview with Maddie. And in that, she admitted that even just this past summer, she thought her dream of becoming a a musician full-time was dead. And she was starting to think like, okay, so what am I going to do with my life? And yet the interesting thing is, even though she thinks my dream's done, she just continued to get gigs. And she just continued to perform. And she just continued to play and sing. So much so that her dad is seeing it. And her dad, who she calls her best friend, who she trusts immensely, says, hey, I think you should try out for American Idol. And, and if any of you went to the uh, concert that she did just you know, a few weeks ago over in uh, Butler County at the fairgrounds, she even admitted there that when her dad said, hey, I think you should try out for American Idol, inside her head, she's thinking, oh, great, so everyone can just see me fail yet again. And yet she did it. She tried out, and now look what happened. She did it because she's a musician. She can't help it. It's just who she is. I suspect that every single one of you in here is similar. No, I don't mean that you're a musician who can't stop singing. Maybe some of you are, but some of you, you're saying, Aaron, I can't sing a lick. And I've stood by you. You're right, you can't. (laughs) But I can guarantee there are things about you that you can't help but do because it's who you are. For instance, some of you are introverts. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you fake it, you try to pretend you really like people. But honestly, over time, you just find yourself gravitating away. You want to be alone. That's where you recharge. That's where you feel safest. That's where you feel best. You can't help it. It's just who you are. Others of you, you're comedians. It doesn't matter if you're at work or at school, at home, in the neighborhood. Something happens. You see something. You can't help but make the joke. Even if it's just like a dad joke, like it's just who you are. You can't help it. You're a comedian. 
Some of you, you're readers. Like, you just can't stop reading, whether it's books or newspapers or blogs or even the back of a cereal box. I mean, if there's words around, you're grabbing it and you're reading it. It's just who you are. I also know some of you are incredibly generous. Like, you're givers. Like, you give financially, you give of your time, you give of your prayer, you give of your heart. Like, you're in the store, and you see something, and it reminds you of someone. And so you can't help but buy it and give it to them as a gift. You're generous. It's just who you are. Now, some of you right now, you're racking your brain. You're trying to think, okay, so what's the thing I can't help but do? Because you're thinking through your life, there's a lot of things I do, but yeah, I... I don't have to do that. Like, I could give up my job. You know, I, I, I could stop doing that. So you're trying to think, okay, what, what, what is my can't help but do thing? Well, let me help you out. Because I do know at least one thing that you can't help but do. Because it is something that every single human on this planet does almost constantly. Now, I'm not talking about sleep or eating or needing to empty your bladder. I'm talking about worship. Really, worship. You are constantly worshiping, like all the time. You can't help it. it. It could be another person. It could be a thing. It could be yourself. And yes, it could be God, but you are a worship factory. You can't help but worship. Now, some of you are pushing back on me. You're saying, ah, I don't know. I, I, I think I can stop. Actually, you can't. And we're going to see it in Isaiah 44 today. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Isaiah 44. If you're a first-time guest at Riverwood, we don't care if you use a paper Bible or a digital Bible. So if you've got a, a Bible on a phone, feel free to pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand and uh, uh, Miguel will come and, and bring a, a Bible to you. And then uh, we're not going to show the scripture up on the screen. So if some of you are waiting like, ah, Aaron will show it up there. For this disciplined series, we're not showing the, the scripture uh, up there. But we're going to be in Isaiah 44 today. And it's going to show us the foolishness of the things that we often worship. You see, as we're doing this discipline series, we're looking at this topic of spiritual disciplines. And oftentimes, as we talk about these disciplines, we're, we're going to find ourselves thinking, oh, I should add that into my life. But when it comes to worship, it isn't something so much that we need to add to our life. Rather, it's something that we need to redirect because what we're prone to do is if we just drift through life, we're just going to start worshiping the people around us or the things in our lives or even begin to worship ourselves. And instead, Isaiah is going to show us that that's not what we are to worship. So before we jump into Isaiah 44, let me pray. All right. So Heavenly Father, um, you tell us in the scriptures that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so God, this is your day. Even though we are here to honor the fathers, the, the men in our midst, even though today we're during our picnic, we're going to honor the Willis family, even though there's a lot of things that we're going to be honoring um, people about, what we want right now, Father, is ultimately to honor you, that you be the ultimate person, the ultimate object of our affection, of our thoughts, of, of everything about us. And so, Father, I pray that today you would just very lovingly expose the things in our lives that we are giving so much of our heart and attention to, and that you would help us to redirect those things towards you. And so, God, I ask that you be the teacher today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some of, before we get into Isaiah 44, some of you may be thinking, okay, wait, Aaron, I don't think I am a worship factory. 
Well, the reason I say that, it comes from the definition of worship that I'm running with. Uh, The definition of worship that I'm going with today is that worship is to ascribe worth. To ascribe worth. And I believe that all of us are regularly ascribing worth to things. We, we ascribe worth through the giving of our money, like what we give money towards to purchase for ourselves. We ascribe worth to, uh, uh, you know, things or people through our affections, what we give our thoughts to. And sometimes it's worshiping these things, but sometimes we're using these other things to, in a sense, worship self. We're trying to, in a sense, saying, I deserve this. I'm ascribing worth to myself. So, for instance, if you see a really fancy car, just fly by you on the highway and you're thinking, whoa, I'd love to have that. You're ascribing some worth to it. So you, in a sense, are worshiping it. Or if you, you know, say you, you fall in love with someone and you, you start, you know, giving them presents. You want to spend all of your time with them. You're telling everyone about how wonderful and great they are. Like that everything do, uh, bubbles up within you and you want to just be in their presence. You, in a sense, are ascribing great, tremendous worth to them. And, and so therefore, in a sense, you are worshiping them. And and by the way, I think this is natural. When God created Adam and Eve, he made them to worship. It's just that originally they were to worship. They were to ascribe worth to God. But when sin entered into the story, it broke the image of God within us. But it did not eliminate that part of us that wants to worship. Instead, it twisted it. And instead of worshiping the creator, we began to worship the created. And we begin to worship the things of this earth rather than worship the one who created the earth. And that is foolish. And that's what Isaiah shows us here in Isaiah 44. Join me in uh, verse 14. In verse 13, Isaiah starts talking about a carpenter. I want you to hear what this carpenter does. Uh, Isaiah 44, verse 14. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a God, his idol. And he falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. This whole section right here that Isaiah is writing, it's just dripping with sarcasm and mockery. Like Isaiah, it's almost like he's just sticking his hand to his forehead going, oh, okay, can you believe this? That this carpenter would take a piece of wood Use half of it to make a fire in which he can bake bread, stay warm. And the other half, he carves into a little image that he then bows down and worships. This is foolish. And I suspect that most of you here today would be saying the same exact thing. Like, yeah, that really is pretty foolish. I I suspect that if I came to your home, I would not find a little carved stone or or wooden statue on your fireplace mantle that you come and bow down to every day, that you leave food in front of, that that you you pray to. I think most of you, that's not who you are. That's not the the world you live in. That that majority of America does not worship that way. And so a lot of us in here are going, yeah, I guess that is really foolish. I mean, like a piece of wood that could be made into a dresser, also then made into an idol. Like, it doesn't make sense. You're right. This is foolish. 
And yet, you and I have foolish idols too. Our idols, they may not be made of wood or stone, but some of our idols, they're made of metal, they're made of light, and they're made of flesh. Let me give you some examples. If you plaster your garage with posters of a particular car, and you make the cover page of your Facebook page, uh, uh, I mean the cover image, uh, uh, that particular car, and you go online and you participate in forums talking all about this car, and you're actively saving up money, you have a special bank account just so you could eventually purchase that car, and all you can think about is envisioning yourself inside of this car and thinking of what everyone's going to think about you once you're driving this car. Guess what? You have a God of metal. Your God is that car. You're seeking to find all of your joy, all of your satisfaction in that God. Maybe for you, your God is sports. It, it could be something like baseball or golf. It, it could also be something like hunting or fishing. And, and because this becomes your world, you ascribe so much worth to it that when your team wins, you are celebratory. And when your team is doing awful, like my Kansas City Royals, it ruins your day, your week, your life. Or when you go out and you bag the big game, man, you are on top of the world. But when you come home empty-handed, man, everyone better just stay away. And then this doesn't even get into the, the money that we're spending on purchasing tickets or the, uh, you know, purchasing equipment or getting all these things. And then the amount of time we give into this, whether it's watching it on TV or live in person or out in the field so that we can participate. We give so much to this. And suddenly we discover that our God is really flesh. It could be a human, an athlete we really admire. It could be the deer or the fish that we're seeking to catch. That this becomes our God. Some of us, our God is entertainment. We bow down before these TVs or we huddle up in intimacy with our phones. And we've got the controllers in our hands playing the video games. And we give inordinate amounts of time into this. We will binge watch an entire season in just a couple of days. We'll spend hours playing a particular video game just so we could get certain levels and then be able to brag to everyone else about what we've achieved. And then we go and spend more money buying bigger TVs or faster phones, or we even will go and buy the headphones or, or a better sound system just so we can be more immersed in the presence of our God. And suddenly we discover our God is actually made of flickering light. Or for some of us, our God is a substance. We, we take this particular substance and we, we ingest it into our body to feel a certain way. Because without it, we start wondering, am I okay? And so we start making this our God. We start giving bunches of time into it. We start giving bunches of money into it. And some of us, we know that this God is not a good God. This is a cruel God. That this God has not given us the freedom that it promised. Instead, it's actually enslaved us and entrapped us. And some of us, we're trying to find our way out of this God. We don't want to worship it. And yet, we find ourselves in that tough moment. Suddenly, we find ourselves crawling right back to it. Just hoping for that one little moment where we will feel whole and complete. We can ignore the brokenness, even though we know that afterwards we're going to be washed with guilt and shame. And this could hurt our jobs. It could hurt our relationships. And yet, just for that little moment, we come to worship. I could go on. You could make your job a god. You could make your spouse or a significant other an idol. You could turn one of your kids into an idol. You, you could even turn a place into an idol. 
Now, don't mishear me. I am not saying that these are bad things. No, many of them are really, really good things. It's just when you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, now it's a bad thing. If you are ascribing worth to it and it is ascribing ultimate worth, now it's become your idol. And that is foolish. Isaiah wants us to see, rather than worship something that's been formed by humans, how about we go and worship the one who formed humans? Skip down to verse 21. Isaiah 44, verse 21. Isaiah is writing to the people of Israel as if God himself is speaking directly to them. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. Oh, Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. Now, I believe that even though God wrote this through Isaiah to the ancient Israelites, this could be said to any human because God created humans. So therefore, God is saying, I formed you. So you should not be worshiping these things that other people have formed. You should be worshiping the one who's actually formed those who could form these things. He's trying to redirect them. Rather than go and worship the, the carved idol, rather than worship the car, rather than worship your job, rather than worship your bank account, rather than worship some famous person, rather than worship this person that's in your life, rather than worship yourself, turn away from those things and worship God. Because those things pale in comparison to God. I mean, look at what he says in verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. Let me ask you, which of your idols has ever blotted out your transgressions? I mean, tell me which, which car or, or which of your children, which of the jobs you've held, which check was it that actually made your sins disappear like a mist? Which of the, the beer did you drink? Which of the, the episodes did you watch? Which of them actually truly changed your life? None of them. I mean, yeah, that, that TV show, I mean, it was really, really good. I mean, they, they did a great job writing it and directing it. The acting was just amazing. I mean, it was a great piece of art. And, and you felt like it changed your life until you started telling everyone about it. And they're like, oh, if you liked that, have you seen this? And now suddenly you're onto something else. And suddenly your God, it, it pleased you for like, what, maybe six weeks? And, and now you're onto something else. But it didn't change your eternity. Or, or you got all wrapped up in your, your new shiny phone. And you became almost like Gollum, you know, in Lord of the Rings, my precious. You know, and you give all of your attention right here. And then suddenly Apple and Samsung have the audacity to put out a newer, faster version. Suddenly this one isn't so cool. I, I got to have it. So, you, you, you know, you're, you're selling it on Craigslist just so you can go and afford the, the next thing. Did it really change your life? It, did it blot out your sin? Did it redeem you? No, it probably entrapped you. It probably took you away from your family at times, probably kept you from accomplishing the certain chores you wanted to do or to read the certain books that you felt like you should read. It probably kept you from some of the things that were higher on your, your to-do list but because it, in a sense, became a god, this is where you thought you'd find your joy, it actually entrapped you. Idols make lousy gods. They can't do it. 
They cannot blot out your transgression. They cannot redeem you. They cannot give you the healing to the brokenness inside that you are seeking. They claim they can, but they will fail every single time. Only God can forgive. Only God can redeem. Only God who created you went and died in your place for your sins, rose again from the dead, and now has a plan for you. He alone is worth us ascribing ultimate worth to. And he deserves to be worshipped. Notice what Isaiah says next, verses 23 and 24. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Because God is the one who has done these things, it should cause us to burst forth in praise, in worship. Notice in verse 22, I mean 23, Isaiah first starts talking about nature. God created all of this created earth. And so this earth, it breaks forth into song. It shouts, it rejoices. I mean, he's talking mountains and trees. Well, we all know that they truly can't. What he's saying is, hey, take your cue from the earth. This created order, it worships the creator. So you, as a created being, should worship the creator. And that's what it gets there into 23. It's God who formed you in the womb. It's God who made all these things. He's the one who's formed these things. He's the one who blotted out your transgressions. He's the one who sent Jesus to the cross for you. He's the one we should therefore worship. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, but Aaron... What do I do when I see a really gorgeous sunset? Do, do I not exalt for a moment? What, what if one of my children does something really great or, or they, they make me laugh? Do, can I not celebrate that? Like, what if my team scores the winning goal? Should I not cheer? No. I think you should. I think you should enjoy those moments. But rather than finding the ultimate satisfaction in that moment, I think you need to let that moment be like a train switch. And it actually redirects you to God. Turn this into a trampoline that bounces you, rebounds you back to the Father. So let, let me give you an example. You go to a restaurant, order a meal, you take that first bite, and it is awesome. I mean, we're talking like eyes closed, slowly savor it in your mouth type of awesomeness. Like you are blown away. Many of us in that moment would be tempted to worship the food. To find our joy and our satisfaction in that moment. Instead, turn it into that conduit. Make it the train switch that switches you to worshiping God. Instead of just exulting in the food, thank God for the taste buds that allow you to enjoy this. Thank God that he created the, the animals and the plants that could be used to be put together to create this. Thank God for the talents and the wisdom that he gave to the chef who came up with this. Thank God that you have the income to afford this meal. Thank God that you have the time to sit there and enjoy this meal. Instead of just exulting in the meal or thinking, I deserve this and it becomes about you, allow it to redirect your heart to God. Rather than worship that which was formed by man, may you now worship the one who formed man. What about when you fall in love? You meet a special someone, 
And all you can do is think about them. You, you like how they make you feel. You want to give them gifts. You want to just be in their presence. Rather than worship them, you worship the one who gave them to you. You allow them to be this conduit. And you thank God so much that he created another human being on this earth who understands you the way you are, that you feel so comfortable with, the conversation can just flow, that you feel so safe with. You just begin to let that person drive your heart to God. Let them catapult you into worship, ascribing ultimate worth to the Father. I think that's what the spiritual discipline of worship is about. It isn't worshiping the things of this earth. It's redirecting our heart to worshiping the one who created the earth. So let me put three things on this just to help you uh, out, just to give a little bit of clarity. Number one, this is going to take some practice. Some of you, you've developed habits and ruts where it's so easy just to return back to one of these other idols. Like you you don't even realize you're doing it. Now what's going to happen is you may have a moment where you start drifting into it and suddenly the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, hang on. This is, you're making this a God. This is becoming an idol in your life. Instead of beating yourself up, going, oh no, I failed. No, instead, Thank God for opening your eyes and allowing you to see what this truly has become in your life. All right? So, so give yourself some grace. This is going to take some practices. This is a spiritual discipline. All right? But along with that, I think the spiritual, the, the spiritual discipline of worship can be very unique. I, I almost think there's like pathways that, that we can... Yeah, in fact, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways, where he talks about nine different pathways for people to connect with God. I think just as we have a wide variety of personalities and backgrounds here, I think there could be a wide variety of ways that you connect deeply with God. For some of you, it might be music. And so what you need to do is turn off maybe just the regular music you've been listening to and find Christ-centered biblical lyrics that are going to just help you exalt God and think about the cross and what Jesus has done for you. Maybe if you play an instrument, you need to pull out your guitar. You need to sit down at the piano. You need to find chances to just sing. Let God use this avenue of music to cause you to ascribe ultimate worth to him. Some of you, it's nature. And so what you need to do is instead of just sit at your desk at lunch, you need to like go outside on a walk and go pray. You, you, you need to just get away. Like on a Saturday morning, just go out to Cedarbin Park or, or Harry Woods over near Clarksville. Like just get away into nature and just pray and talk to God. Some of you, it's, it happens through conversation. You need to sit down with some people and talk about Jesus. So I, that's why I encourage you this fall, when we restart up our growth groups, get in one. It, maybe you need to invite someone to connect with you, get, like do breakfast together, you know, once a month or once a week, do, do lunch, connect over Skype, find someone who's going to intentionally help you follow Jesus. Because they're probably going to be able to help you see, oh, are you making that an idol? Instead, let it redirect you to the Father. All right, so give yourself some grace. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some practice. But also allow God to um, help you find that unique pathway. And then the third thing. Some of these things, they're not going to be able to be that conduit for you. And so what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to actually eliminate them. Because they're not going to direct your heart to the Father. They're actually going to become an obstacle for you to the Father. For example... Some of you, you will be able to sit down with a glass of wine, enjoy that, and you will be able to worship God and just thank him for the fruit of the vine. 
Some of you, though, you can't even have the one glass of wine because the one will turn into 12. It becomes an obstacle to you. And so for you, you've got to eliminate it, all right? Or some of you, you've been using your computer to find certain sexual satisfaction, and you're going to probably need to eliminate it. Sex is a beautiful gift from God designed for a husband and a wife to enjoy together, and it can be a conduit for them to worship God. But when you start taking other people's bodies who aren't your spouses and using it for your own sexual satisfaction, you're either worshiping them or yourself, and it's not taking you to the Father. And so it means you're going to have to eliminate this out of your life. Now, if this has become a pattern, a habit, it's going to be really, really difficult. You, you could be in for the fight of your life. That means you're going to have to recruit some help. First of all, God's already given you the Holy Spirit. If you are a Jesus follower, it tells us that God has baptized you in the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Spirit. You now belong to God. So because you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwelling in you, you're not going to fight this alone. Because I can guarantee you can't fight this by yourself. So you've got to first begin to rely on God and seek him wholeheartedly, daily, hourly, moment by moment, how, seeking him to help you fight. But also, you need to do what we talked about last week. You need to bring the spiritual discipline of community into the spiritual discipline of worship. You need to invite some others into your life who are going to help you in this battle. Because if you try to go it alone, you try to fight it by yourself, guess what's going to happen? Instead, you bring these people in and as God uses them, as well as Holy Spirit, you can begin to slowly, slowly, slowly get out of this rut and stop worshiping that idol that is enslaving you and entrapping you. And instead, find that freedom that Christ gives you and offers you through the cross. All right, so give yourself some grace. You know, find that unique path. But also, some of you, you're going to have to eliminate some things. This isn't about adding something. It's instead, it's eliminating and replacing it with, with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, writes this amazing quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because it cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I want to encourage you. Give up your mud pie idols. Don't find your joy and satisfaction in these things of earth. When you are being invited into a relationship with the one who created the earth. Because these other things that you've been seeking to find your joy in, these things that you un unintentionally ascribe worth to and so therefore worship, they pale in comparison to the Almighty Father who has formed you, he loves you, he died for you, he forgives you, and he has a plan for you. So let these things that so often we want to go and worship, instead, let them be conduits. Let them be catapults that launch us into worship of God. That he is the one we ascribe ultimate worth to. He's the one that we find our joy in. Because as we do that, he begins to mold and shape and conform us into that image of Jesus so that we will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to get into the spiritual discipline of worship, of truly making Jesus the, the center of our lives, that we would be Jesus-centered people. So Father, I pray right now for the person that, that does not know you, 
And they've been living their life trying to find something in this world to bring them joy and satisfaction and wholeness and completeness. And it's not been working. God, I pray that they would find that you are the one who created them. And so only you can put together the brokenness. Only you can repair your image within us because you're the one who knows exactly what it should look like. So I pray that right now, someone would be bowing their, their knee and their heart before you, confessing their sin and proclaiming you as their God, and they would choose to follow Jesus. I pray for the person here today that felt conviction. They, they want to worship you, God. But they're realizing they've been letting these other things of this earth become idols. And, and sometimes these are good things, but we've let them become ultimate things. And instead, God, today you're reminding us, asking us to let you be the ultimate in our life. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you come in and you do within us what you need to do. If it is to eliminate some things, you would carve those things out of us. That if it is uh, bringing people into our life, would you bring those people who will help us to, to continue in this journey of following Jesus? Father, these are your people. You know each and every person here. You know their stories. You know their faults. You know their failings. You know the times they've been rejected. You know the, the areas that they are not trusting you. I pray, Father, you would crash in with your love, with your gospel, and you would help them to realize who you are and what you've done. And that would lead them to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.